Welcome to another episode of The Raven Narratives. I'm Tom Yoder. And I'm Sarah Severson. The story you're about to hear was told by Gretchen Gronke in June when the theme was privilege. Gretchen's favorite things are people, poetry, and plants. She loves long walks in the forest with no particular destination, toast for dinner, and passionate conversations about food systems, childbirth, and power dynamics. Gretchen is the lucky mom of a big-hearted six-year-old named Eddie. Here is Gretchen's story. So I grew up in the middle of 80 acres of cherry trees in the vast agricultural landscape of central Washington state. I'm from the Columbia River Basin. Um, I grew up in a town of about 2,000 people in a region where over 100,000 migrant laborers come every summer to harvest all the crops. The reality immediately around me really reflected that influx of people and activity. Cherry harvest was like the pinnacle of every year when I was growing up. It was the culmination of a long year's hard work. Um, On the really good years, the trees would just be heavy, just weighed down with fruit. I still kind of have like an odd love for the smell of diesel tractors. (laughs) I can hear the clink of the metal ladders and the rustling of the leaves as people would shift about to try to get the fruit out of the tops of the trees. But my most favorite memories, the most cherished memories that really stick with me are of the songs. Sometimes when people were up on their ladders picking fruit, they'd start singing. And it was like those songs would carry like, like a cloud of fog on top of the trees. And every once in a while, somebody on another side of the orchard would hear the song, and they'd know the words, and they'd start singing too. It was so beautiful. It was like the symphony of my youth. I often wondered when I was a kid how people still had the capacity to actually feel joy, to be able to sing and to laugh while working under such difficult conditions so far away from their homelands. There was never any singing in the house that I grew up in. By the time I was five, I wanted nothing more in life than to learn how to read. I was so excited to go to school. My first day of kindergarten came quickly with so much anticipation and excitement, and I remember the day really clearly. I sat at a table with twin boys who grew up down the road from me, and the room was filled with the sound of children crying. All around the edges of the room, there were moms holding their little ones, trying to calm them down, trying to soothe them, trying to coax them to come sit at a table. And I didn't know what was happening, but I knew something was definitely wrong. Two days later, I got moved to the first grade. I was told things like I was bright, I was capable, I was ready to learn. And all those things may well have been true, but what was also true and perhaps more important was that I was fluent in English. See, on my first day of kindergarten, what was happening is that most of the kids in my classroom came from Spanish-speaking homes. They didn't speak any English, and they were being dropped off in an English-speaking world. So I learned from a really young age that in order to succeed in the environment that I grew up in, everybody would have to learn English. There was no way around it. But for me, in order to connect with the world around me, I would have to learn Spanish. And that would prove to be one of the greatest gifts in my life. I was blessed by people with the patience to teach me. And I also had a love from a very young age of the the sound of Spanish, of the quality of Spanish. Like 
so much more capable of an embrace than the gravel of English. Sometime in that era of my life, of elementary school years, I arrived at school on what I thought was just another normal school day, and the place was like a ghost town. There was just a few people here and there, and I thought for sure I must have been missing out on something. Like, maybe there was um, a field trip and the bus had left early, or for some reason we didn't even have to come to school that day, and I, I just missed out on the information. And I walked down my hallway towards my classroom trying to figure out what was I missing and what was I what did I get left behind from when I sat down in my classroom I looked around at the handful of kids that had arrived besides myself and I noticed one thing that most of us were the white kids I came to find out that day that there had been an immigration raid in my community and that most of the families had either fled or they were hiding I felt like I had discovered the great secret that had never been spoken. That that place was not safe for most of the people around me and that there was a huge unfairness to whatever that was happening. And maybe the more uncomfortable truth that my family would never be one of the ones to run, at least not under those circumstances. In the days that followed, people started to come back to school as things calmed down in town. And I kept my eye on one desk at the back of the classroom where a friend of mine sat. Her name was Ariana. And the days passed slowly, and um, she didn't come back until finally our teacher removed her desk from the classroom in a silent acknowledgment that she wouldn't be coming back. I wondered what happened to her. I wondered if when they found her, if she was hiding or running or if they just caught her by surprise. I wondered who they were. I wondered what they did with her. Did they just take people to the border and drop them off, or do they give them a ride back to their house, and did she have a house back in Mexico still? I wondered if she was with her family, or if they had gotten separated somehow. I had a lot of questions, and nobody around me seemed to be talking about any of it. And I was a quiet kid to begin with, so I just kept it all to myself, and I assumed that if nobody else had a problem with any of this, it must just be my problem. So I didn't say anything. Situations like this just were normal in my youth. It just was what it was. It was the nature of the place. And despite a voice inside me that always said, something is wrong here, I began to accept that reality as normal too. Growing up, <clears throat> There was three men who worked in my family's orchard year-round. They had been part of my reality since before I was born. Um, I have like really fond memories. They were always kind to me. They always treated me really well. And I knew they all had their own families back in Mexico. They all had their own wives and kids. And I knew that they were working every day to be able to bring their families to join them here in this place. And when I was about... 12 years old, maybe that day finally came for one of those men when his family was going to come join him. And I was super excited because his house was right next to mine and he happened to have a daughter that was my age. And if you live out in a rural community, you know that neighbors are a hot commodity. And so this thought of a neighbor who might also be my friend was like really big deal to me. When his family finally arrived, it was right in the heat of cherry harvest and things were busy. 
and full. And my dad asked me to go out into the orchard with the daughter who was my age and just show her around. And so I did. We walked around awkwardly while I worried about what she was thinking and feeling like I was probably failing to make the impression that I had hoped to make. At some point during the heat of the day, we found ourselves sitting in the shade of the trees on the grass, and I wanted so bad to connect, to just open the doors to friendship. And so I wanted to just ask her a question, and I gathered up all my courage, and, and I thought through my translation and my verb conjugations, and when I felt like I had perfectly crafted the nice casual question to break the ice, I asked her, how was your trip? And she looked at me with a face that was silent, like stone. And she said, we walked. And I thought, no, something's wrong here. I got my verbs wrong. I didn't translate it right. I didn't understand what she said. Something's wrong here. But nothing was wrong with the language. I asked, you walked? She said, we walked for three days through the desert. And I felt everything inside me just hit the ground. How could it be? that her dad had been here my entire life, working diligently, day in and day out, sun up to sundown, every day, right alongside my own dad most days, always with the pure intention of bringing his family. And when that day finally came, they had to risk their lives to come here. Hadn't he somehow earned the right to have his family? Hadn't he proven himself to this place? Who made these decisions anyway? Who decided who gets to cross the line and who doesn't? I looked back up at her and I thought, I don't know if I have what it takes to walk for three days through the desert. And the truth of the matter is nothing in my life necessitated that type of courage. That conversation marked a turning point in my life. After that, I started to ask a lot more questions. When there was just enough time and space, I would ask people, where are you from? And people would tell me the stories of their homelands with so much pride and joy. And if I could feel like there was just enough trust, I started to ask people, how did you get here? And I began to understand that almost everybody around me had risked their lives to be in this place. What was it, I wondered, that caused people to risk it all to cross that line? What was on the other side of it? And why was there a line in the first place? And who made these decisions? The questions that I had and the stories that I heard began to inform every next step in my life. It was like every time somebody told me their story, a seed got planted inside. So I wish I had like a nice happy ending to tell you all, but that would be impossible. The story doesn't stop, it just keeps on unfolding and unfolding. Right in this moment, there's a woman who lives in a church just a couple miles from my house. And if she chooses to leave, she risks losing her entire life and everything she's created over the past 30 years and being here with her family by being deported. Her name's Rosa. So I often get lost in my thoughts, just thinking like, what will it take? What will it really actually take to change? And I don't know that I've come up with the answer to that question yet, 
but I think I've learned a few things along the way. One is that when people share their stories with us, that's a gift. And another is that when seeds get planted, it's important to tend to them. And the last thing that I feel like I've come to hold as a truth in my life is that nothing will change until we start actually listening. Thank you. Thanks, Gretchen, for sharing your story with us. To pitch your story for a future Raven Narratives event, fill out the contact form on our website at ravennarratives.org. Our next storytelling event will be September 7th and 8th at James Ranch, north of Durango, and at the Grand Imperial Hotel in Silverton, when the theme will be water. And we are also currently looking for storytellers for our upcoming events in October, when the theme will be belonging. And if you have not done so already, be sure to subscribe to the Raven Narratives podcast. You can do that on Apple Podcasts, on SoundCloud, or Stitcher. And be sure to share these stories with your friends and comment on things that you loved. Thanks to our photographer, McCarson Lee of Red Scarf Shots. Check out the portraits of our storytellers on the gallery page of the Raven Narratives website. And be sure to visit her website at redscarfshots.com. We also want to thank our nonprofit sponsor organization, Mancus Valley Resources. We couldn't do it without you. Our theme music was written, composed, and performed by Jazar, and you can find out more about his music on SoundCloud or at freemusicarchive.org. Now for an outtake. <laughs> about our next storytelling event with the theme of water, just so we can oh, distinguish that. yes, yes. Okay, Gosh, you make that note. I just noticed that. Yep, I meant to put that in, actually. Yeah, I was probably distracting you. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably you were my fault so for distracting. some reason. You with your sparkling water. <laughs> sparkle, sparkle, sparkle. sparkle. <laughs> <It's> unicorn water. <laughs> I know, I couldn't look at anything else. <laughs> okay.